I'd like to welcome you all here this morning, and if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to them. Book of Genesis, chapter 44. Genesis, chapter 44, looking at this incredible story about how a famine came upon the area of Egypt and the whole Mediterranean area. And because God showed Joseph what was about to happen, told Pharaoh, what you need to do is you need to store up grain, and then when the famine comes, we're going to have enough grain that you can sell it to all the people around, and you'll become quite wealthy. Pharaoh said, where can I find somebody as smart as you? You be in charge. So he went from prison to prime minister in a day, and only God does that. The second thing we find is that it wasn't just to provide food for Joseph's family and the promise of God for Jacob and all the descendants of Abraham. But it was really to move the nation of Israel from Canaan, where they began to intermarry with other cultures, which Jacob's brother did. Esau married two Hittite women, which would drag his heart away from God. And by the way, that's even a problem today, as you know. If you're single, be careful of dating people outside of the faith of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, it isn't the good rubs off on the bad, it's the bad rubs off on the good. You need to protect your heart. This is one of the things the Bible says. The other thing the Bible says is not to be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Now, I believe that's primarily concerning marriage, but I believe it's concerning everything, whether it's business practices or your intimate friends that you have. Be careful of the company you keep. It's really important. God knew this was going to be a problem for the children of Israel intermarrying cross culturally. And so God moved them into Egypt through this crazy famine. And we find this key verse, and I want you to uh, circle it in your Bible. If you're a circler or an underliner in your Bible, I am. It's verse 32 of the preceding chapter. And let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, may your Holy Spirit Come upon us, cause us to remember these things, that you're bigger than the circumstances in our life, and Lord, that you will have your way if we are willing to let you have your way through us. And so, God, now as we study these words, may they not be just ink on paper, but may they come alive in our hearts, and may we remember them. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 32 of Genesis chapter 43 says, So they set him by himself, speaking of Joseph, and they set themselves by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. This is a funny little verse in here, but friends, this is the whole key why the famine came. It isn't just that God used Joseph to provide food for his family, but this one verse talked about the segregation of Egypt. The Egyptians believed they were descendants of the gods and uh, everybody else were probably descendants of the dogs. I don't know. But there was a real prejudice between the Egyptians and anybody else. So God moved the children of Israel who were already beginning to intermarry with cross-cultural problems and moved them down into Egypt, 
highly segregated. The Egyptians didn't want to date the Jewish people. And so this is why God was able to protect them there. So God, when he does something, what I have found in life is this. He will do something that obviously is immediate. But then there's a long-term plan in what God does. And of course, the prophetic in the eternal. Now, again, I've shared this many times. When the Hebrews read the Bible, they read it for three reasons. One, what does it obviously say? Number two, what is its spiritual application? And number three, what is its prophetic application? What's to be in the future? So these help us understand that the Bible is not only a book that was written for the time that we read, But even Jesus said, search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. And we know the spirit of God, the Bible tells us, is prophecy. Now, of all the religious books in the world, only the Bible contains prophecy. It is missing in every religious book on earth except the Bible. Why is that? Because if a book makes a prophecy, it doesn't happen. You can throw the book away. You know that certainly it isn't being divinely inspired. But when you look at the accuracy of the Bible and you look at how it was designed by the Holy Spirit to that which would cause the reader to say, hey, there's something more going on here than just ink on paper, that this is the very hand of God. Now, chapter 44, we come into this and where this story is right now is the brothers have came back. Joseph himself. Now, this is the Joseph for you that if you've been following along with us, this is just review. Maybe if you haven't been in church for a while, maybe this will flash back you to your Sunday school days. But Joseph was sold by his brothers. They were exceedingly jealous of him. Joseph was always saying, hey, I had this dream. And that you guys all bowed down to me. And oh, the brothers just went wild. They hated this because they were, they were, (laughs) this guy was the younger brother. We're not going to bow down to you. Well, because of the famine, because they had sold their brother into slavery. As he's in, down in Egypt, he's bought by a guy named Potiphar who was the head of the SS. He was the captain of the guard, the Bible says. And this man basically allowed Joseph to take over every aspect of his business, insomuch that Potiphar's wife made moves sexually on him, and Joseph, being scared, ran and left his coat in her hand. She claimed that, she, that she, he tried to rape her, And Joseph ends up in prison. Now, notice this, and again, this is so important, because we have such a skewed concept of what God does in believers' lives today. First thing, he was rejected by his brethren. His, his, uh, his, His brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. And Judah says, why don't we just sell him, make some money? Hey, we can sell him for 20 pieces of silver to these guys going down to Egypt. So they said, okay. So they take him and they sell him. He gets bought. He's taken to a foreign culture where he doesn't even know the language. 
Then he's accused of rape, ends up in prison for two years, and the Bible has the audacity, friends, to say, and the Lord was with Joseph. (laughs) Really? The Lord was with Joseph with all these terrible things, false accusation, being rejected by his family, being in prison, and the Lord was with Joseph. What I'm saying is this. Be careful when you think God's against you as a Christian as he's manifesting his plan for your life. Oftentimes, we'll look at it and say, where's God at? I'm not speaking about a person that doesn't know God. I'm speaking sometimes about a Christian who's walked with the Lord for many years, but you've come into what you view as bad luck, but not at all. God is bringing you about into the plan where he wants to use you. And so the Bible tells us that he brings his brothers there. They don't know who he is. He's got all the Egyptian garb on. He's speaking to his brothers through an interpreter in in Egyptian in through to Hebrew. They don't know who he is. And so the last verse of chapter 43 says, and then he took uh, uh, servings to his brothers from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. I can just see him saying, we don't know why this Pharaoh dude is partying with us, but okay. And then all of a sudden, Benjamin's portion is five times greater. Now, why was that? Because Benjamin was his only true 100% brother. The others were half-brothers from the other wives and the maidservants and all the crazy stuff that was going on in in uh, Jacob's life. And so, but he was the only true brother. And he may have done this just to see how his brothers reacted When he was favored by someone like his father had favored himself, Joseph, gave him the coat of many colors. They took the coat, dipped it in animal's blood, tore it up after they sold him into slavery and said, look, pops, an animal must have ate him alive. And the Bible tells us for over 20 years, Jacob believed that lie that all of the brothers were in on except Benjamin. Wow. To see their father in grief, probably every day over the brother that was eaten and destroyed and died, according to what they told him. Watching their dad in anguish, heartless, heartless brothers. Well, God's dealing with them. Now, do you realize something? You're a servant of God if you're a Christian here today. Do you realize that God sometimes will use you to create an issue for judgment in somebody else's life? Now, this is hard because all of this begins to deal. Now, yes, there's a lot of things going on. One, God provided food for Jacob, his brethren, and the nation of Israel to bring forth the Messiah. That's important. Number two, to bring the people of Israel down into Egypt, segregated where they wouldn't intermarry with the pagans. And number three, that God dealt with their brother's sin in selling him into slavery and then lying to their father for years. Let's look at the story. Chapter 44, verse 1. And he commanded the stewards of the house saying, fill each man's sack with food 
as much as they can carry each man's money in the mouth of the sack. This is what he did before. This caused great fear in the brothers as the first time when they ran out of food, they came and and told Pharaoh they needed food. So he filled all their sacks with food and put their money back in the bag again. Well, when they left, they thought, oh no, we're, we're in real trouble. They didn't take our money for the food. Well, we remember that they ran out of food again. And uh, Joseph said to his brothers, again, they didn't know who he was, I don't want to see your face again until the next time you bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, to me. He really wanted to see his, his brother, his real brother. And um, so anyhow, the famine went on. They went back down to Egypt the second time looking for food. This is where we find this party in the preceding chapter. And now they're on their way back to see their father, Jacob. And he fills their sacks with all kinds of food. But this time he does something different. Verse 2. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. And his grain money. So they did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as morning had dawned, the men literally saddled up and went on their way with their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city, they had not gone far. And Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men When you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not the one from which my Lord drinks with you indeed who practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. Um, Basically saying, my master practices divination. And he knows you guys stole something from him. Now, I can just see them absolutely going, oh, no, not again. So, it says, So he overtook them and spoke to them with these words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say such words? Far be it from us that your servants would do such a thing, steal anything. Look, we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be the Lord's slaves. He's saying, look, if what you're accusing us of is true, then we'll be your slaves because we didn't do this. Now, this tells me a little bit that the brothers were talking, that none of them did anything really bad. So he says, then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each one opened his sack. And so it was searched and he began with the oldest And left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. You can just imagine. These, the police cars are there. (laughs) The police donkeys were there. I don't know what they had there, but they had something. The police donkeys show up. Blue lights. 
Woo! I don't know what they did. And so anyway, they show up. They're saying, hey, you stole something. They went through the sacks, and sure enough, here is Pharaoh's cup. Here is, is, is Joseph. Now, again, they didn't know it was his brother, cup. And no doubt, maybe they even saw him use it in the meal that they had before. And maybe, just maybe, in all of this, somehow it got in the sack. Don't know. But they knew they were in a lot of trouble this time. And so it says, they tore their clothes. This is something that was very much a um, practice of the Hebrews. It's really weird because we don't do that nowadays usually. Oh, I'm really bummed out. (laughs) You know, we don't do that. But you know, they showed different ways of grief, different ways of hatred in their culture differently than we do. Now, you cut somebody off going down Blue Lakes or on the freeway, there's usually a hand gesture that oftentimes will be shown to you by them. The Hebrews didn't do that. To show hatred towards somebody, they would gnash their teeth. And they'd grind their teeth with a scowl on their face. And this showed hatred towards them. Interesting, the Bible says hell is a place where there's weeping, maybe because they missed the opportunity to go to heaven. But the Bible also says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you'll find people down in hell weeping and flipping everybody off. This is a weird thing. You think sinners are weird here? (laughs) Friends, it gets really weird when they die. Now, why is that? Because the Bible tells us that death seals us in the condition we're in. The book of Hebrews says, after this life, the judgment. No second chances. Nobody praying you out of purgatory. No baptism for the dead. Nothing. That's all feathers. It's not in the Bible. After this life, the judgment. Everybody's going to give an account of their life. That's why the Bible says, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. Whether it be in the rapture or whether we die, we want to be ready when the Lord comes. We don't want to say, oh Lord, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I got some, I got to clean out the closet. God says, no, you be ready when the Lord comes. Because death seals you in the condition you're in. Now, the reason why, again, friends, that's important is because today is the appointed day of salvation. Never put off tomorrow what you can do today for God, for your, for your family, or anyone else. You're not, there's no promise you're going to be here tomorrow, or they will be here tomorrow. Well, I'll, I'll tell them I'm sorry someday when I see them at the next family reunion. No, don't, don't live like that. You never know how God will use even that problem, and maybe you even cause that problem, in seeking reconciliation to seek forgiveness, how God will touch that person's heart so that they would open their heart up to God and just say, you know, you can say, you know, normally if I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't care what you thought of me. But you know, because I am a Christian, I'm, I'm sorry I offended you. And just because I offended you doesn't mean I forgot. I want you to know I'm sorry and please forgive me. You don't know how that'll touch somebody. 
It does more often, more than, than all the track laying, all the, you know, those little, little tracks or giving people Bibles for Christmas and all those things we somehow try to do to indirectly tell them about the Lord. Then, then anything else you can do by simply showing that you have a conscience, that you have a heart, and that you will do something that regularly you would never do because there's a relationship with God. So we find they tore their clothes. And um, it says, each man loaded his donkey and returned back to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. And he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. It's interesting. Again, goes right back to the dream that Joseph said, I dream that you all bowed down to me. This is exactly what was happening repetitively. By the way, if you remember, uh, if you've been coming here any length of time, Joseph had several dreams about his brothers and family bowing down to him. And, and I think that's interesting because we find in this story several times they bowed down to him as they were seeking food or now seeking for their very lives because of the cup that was found. And it says here that his brothers came and Joseph said to them, what is this that you have done? Did you not know that a man such as I certainly practiced divination? Now, I think he was yanking his brother's chain here a little bit. Um, I don't think he was trying to be mean, but I think he was trying to get a confession from him, which he gets in the next verse. Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. This right here is the confession. We have blown it. Now, they know they didn't take the cup. Joseph knows he didn't, they didn't take the cup. But they are talking about what they did to Joseph years ago when they sold him into slavery, lied to their father, tore his coat of many colors up, dipped it in blood, and began the charade that lasted for 20 years. Now we find they fess up. God has found out the iniquity of your servants here. So here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also whom the cup is found. By the way, he's basically saying we're busted. We know we're slaves. Right now, they're probably indirectly pleading for their life because they realize there's no way around it. You, You got caught with the cup. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. But the man in whom's hand the cup is found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. He's really saying, I just want Benjamin to stay here with me. He's my real brother, and I'll reveal to him who I am in a little bit. He didn't say that, but that's what happens in the next chapter. He goes, you guys can go. I just want him to stay here with me. Now, verse 18 is probably one of the greatest 
statements. I, I read several commentaries on this. The next verses clear down to almost the end of the chapter is probably one of the greatest declarations of guilt, innocence, uh, confession that you find in the entire Bible. Then Judah, and by the way, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, from, from Judah came great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad. Uh, then Judah came near to Pharaoh and said to him, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in the mouth of your hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. Now, again, this is important because here you find Judah being an intercessor. Before he was a rat, now he's being an intercessor for his family and brother Benjamin. And this shows a real change in him. Now, there's a couple things we're going to see as we go along here. But one of the things you have to realize is when you study God's word, it gives you an insight and wisdom in several things. One, how to handle a crisis. And by the way, friends, this is a crisis. He's pleading for not only his brother's life in whom the cup sack was found, but he's also pleading for the rest of his brothers and for all of us not to be put to death. And so this is why he repeats over and over, we're your servants, we're your servants, we're your servants. He is being the intercessor. Now, he says, my Lord asked his servants saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, in other words, we said to you, we said to you, we have a father, an old man and a child in his old age, who is the young, who is young, his brother is dead, and we are left alone, uh, his mother's children, and his father loves him. Now, it's probably very possible that they believe that Joseph, in fact, was dead. They sold him into slavery, never heard from him again, and probably, I don't know, went down to Egypt and died somewhere. We don't know what happened to him. And so, then you shall, verse 21, then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. And we said, uh, we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father for his father Uh, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, and we told him the words of my Lord, our father said, go back and buy us a little more food. But he said, but but we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is not with us, then we will go down that he may not see the man's face unless your brother is with us. <clears throat> so he said, look, we don't want to go back there and ask for more food when you, Pharaoh's assistant, Joseph, said, I don't want to see you again unless your brother is with us. Then your servant, verse 27 then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore, bore me two sons. 
One went out from me, and I said, surely he'll be torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one from me, and calamity befalls him, then you shall bring down my gray hair in my sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come, um, now for, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since the life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that lad is not with us that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety. Now, he's saying here, uh, I, Judah, became the cosigner for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain. He's saying, okay, look, I will stay here. Judah is saying, I will stay here instead of the lad and be a slave to my Lord. Let the lad go back up with his brothers. For how long shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? In other words, he just has a heart attack and dies right there. When This is amazing. This is the same Judah that said, let's sell Joseph into slavery. Now he's saying, look, I'll be a substitute sacrifice. Take me instead of Benjamin, because if my brothers go back to the land where my father lives and Benjamin is not there, it'll kill my dad. He'll be overwhelming grief. Now, Judah's saying, take me instead. What a change. You see, all this stuff that went through uh, the, the lives of these brothers changed them. And notice again, they uh, are, are very sorrowful now. This has been a change in them. Now, let's just take this aside for a second. How does that apply to us today? I'm amazed what sometimes God has to bring an individual through to bring them to repentance. Now, the Bible says the goodness of God causes a man to repent. Sometimes when you just look at everything that God has done for you, you look at everything and Thanksgiving comes and you don't know who to thank. You go, oh, maybe there is a God. Sometimes it is that prognosis negative. When you go to a doctor and he gives you six months to live, that, that'll certainly wake you up. Maybe it is a heart attack that you survive. That'll wake you up. There's a lot of things that will cause a person to reevaluate their life And sometimes it's not always bad. As the Bible says, sometimes it's the overwhelming blessings of God. And you go, wow, God, thank you, but I don't know who you are. You see, this is one of the reasons why I believe God does what he does in the individual's life. And when you, Christian, pray for your moms, your dads, your uncles, your friends, your aunts and uncles, I believe that God knows what it takes to cause that person that you're praying for to repent. And sometimes it will be overwhelming blessing. Sometimes it will be overwhelming tragedy that will cause that. 
I remember there was a guy that my uncle knew when I was a child growing up. His name was Red. And Red had a hard heart towards God. And my mom, who was a believer, she looked at Red and said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you every day until you come to Christ. And the guy laughed and he blew it off. And it was a couple months later, Red called my mom and said, stop praying for me. Why? Because you can't run, you can't hide from the hound of heaven. And that's exactly what was going on. That every day God was hitting red with some angle that God was real. Every day. You see, God has a way of getting to people that we don't know. God had a way of getting to Joseph's brothers. Living a lie, watching their father in torment. If that wasn't enough to cause a person to repent. Watching their father. Dad, why are you crying? Oh, my son Joseph. He, he, he's dead and he died and, and they're all going, yeah, right. We sold him into slavery. Not one of the 11 brothers, or I should say 10 brothers, uh, uh, Benjamin wasn't in on it. Not one of the 10 brothers went and said, you know what? L- let's stop the charade and tell dad what happened. None of them. They kept The lie alive. Do you know what the problem with a lot of times this is? You lie so much, you tell a lie so often, you believe it yourself in complete disregard to everybody else that is hurting. The way it works. So here you find Judah now, the very one that said, sell him to the Midianites going down to Egypt, will make some money. Now we find this happening. Let's go to verse, chapter 1 of verse 45. We're going to stop here, but I can't leave the story where it's at. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go away from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known To his brothers. This is the great unveiling. Now, I believe that these guys are in for the total shock of their life, and here's why. If you were in a room with these other soldiers with you, because he's prime minister of Egypt, your straggly brothers are in front of you, knowing everything that they did. And now the cup is found in their grain, money still in their sacks, and they're going, oh, no. And the prime minister says, everybody leave the room. And everybody goes out. I imagine these brothers are going, it's the death sentence. We're all toast. There's no way around it. What they're going to do to us is so bad, he doesn't even want the servants to hear. We're done. We're cooked. And notice verse 2. He wept aloud. Now, friends, again, guys, don't ever forget, it's okay to cry. Um, God gave you tear ducts too. Don't forget they're there for you to use as well. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. I can just see them all leaving 
his, his house, standing around keeping guard, and you hear Joseph crying out loud. Whatever does this mean? Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I bet you they went, man, you can think about this. They think they're going to be executed. And the executioner that they think is going to make the declaration turns out to be the brother they sold into slavery 20 years before. And Joseph, Joseph answered his brother, does my father still live? You know, he was concerned about his dad. And I think that's really good. I think that's always a good thing. We need to be careful of how we treat our parents. Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five more years that will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve the posterity for you in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. I can just see his brothers going, this is unbelievable. Now next week we're going to look and see how God used this as then Joseph says to his brothers, load up the truck and move to Beverly. No, he says, load up everything and come on down here. The best of the land is for you. God provided for him. In the midst of a famine, friends, in an unbelievable way, there's a miracle. Listen, I don't know what is facing America in the next few years. I don't know what's facing the world in the next few years, but I know this. This same God you're reading about, who miraculously supplied the needs for the brothers of Israel to survive, will do the very same thing for us. This is why we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that we would not be suddenly shaken or dismayed in the things that we see. And believe me, when you look at the newspaper, there's a lot to be dismayed over. Have you noticed the hypocrisy in the news? You know, you got to get your, your, your vaccination, 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 vaccination. And then they say, oh, by the way, the... African version of COVID is immune to the vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. Here we go again. You think about it for a minute. Really? And how many morphs of COVID-19 are we going to have where every month we're going down getting a new vaccination for the new morphed COVID? We're going to be walking pharmaceuticals. The head of the of the, uh, I believe it was the president of Modena or whatever it is, one of the leading vaccination makers, he said these exact words. COVID is with us forever. Wow. 
I'm going to wear my mask. Oh, really? You think it's going to stop it? Well, yeah, it can probably help. But one of the things we have to be aware of is that he said, the, the man who makes the vaccination says, because it morphs, because it changes, because it becomes immune to the vaccinations, it will change. It will be with us forever. And you think about it a minute. And you go, man, now is COVID real? Yeah, I had, a, I had COVID a week before Thanksgiving. And I started, and listen, please listen. I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you what to do. But this is what I would do if this thing comes back on me. I had COVID and I started feeling really good. After Thanksgiving, I felt good. A week after Thanksgiving, I told my wife, I said, you know what? I feel the best today I have felt in a month. Two hours later, I had a heart attack that killed me dead because it causes blood clots. And some people, I've talked to people in our church and my heart goes out. We prayed for uh, one of the lady sisters here in the church, her son, who had a stroke. Young man had a stroke, blood clot in the brain. Some people get them in their legs, in their arms, in their chest. Mine was in my heart. And it plugged that, that vein up. It was called the widow maker. And it plugged it off solid. What I'm saying is that it's going to be here. I believe if we go to Matthew chapter 24, where it says perplexity among nations, problems with no way out is what that means in the English. I think we have that. Here's what I'm saying. We have a God in heaven to take care of us. Friends, we want to do that. And by the way, if I had COVID and I got over it and I started feeling really good, this is what I would do. I would have, as my doctor said, a baby aspirin a day. You know, they're little bitty, 80 milligrams. You know, you can buy a whole big bottle of them at Walgreens for like five bucks. And one a day. My friend told me, he says, I've been eating a baby aspirin a day since I've been 53. They said, you probably should do that. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't prescribe medicine. But I will tell you this. If I'd been eating a baby aspirin, I'd probably never had a heart attack. <laughs> Funny what a little half a cent pill will stop a $75,000 stent bill. Now, I'm simply saying this. If you're a Christian, God will use your life like he did Joseph. And he will reach out in many different ways to cause people to come to him. God not only will use you to preserve the life of others, but the advice that you will give will help them in the years to come. You see, it is true that when we die, we have heaven awaiting for us. But God's got a great plan for all of us right now. Don't miss that. Don't just think being a Christian is, is, is apple pie in the sweet by and by, but it's really what God wants us to do right now. And friends, that's where the miracles are. That's where you see the hand of God daily in your life. And by the way, when you see the hand of God in your life, it encourages you. You go, wow, God really is true. He got me through that. Wow. I don't know how, but he did. That's what God does. Why? Because he loves you. This morning, if you're not a Christian, there's a, you got a lot of issues. One, um, 
you're living your life for yourself and you're not getting anywhere. You know, I, I went to, uh, to a secondhand store yesterday. And uh, here on the shelf, I've shared this so many times, but here it was. And I look at it and I think, gee, this is, here's all these trophies all being sold for a nickel. I'm going, what a tragedy. All the sweat, the tears, the training, everything. You got a trophy and it's worth a nickel. Wow. Why? Because it doesn't mean anything to anybody else but the person who received it. God's saying, I want your life to not be sold at a secondhand store for a nickel. The accomplishments of your life. But that rather that you would be rewarded eternally for the things that you did for him. So you can either spend your life pursuing your own, getting your nickel. Or you can say, okay, God, I'm going to serve you. And when I serve you, I know that I'm laying up for myself treasure in heaven. So first of all, if you want to look at, let's look at a couple of things. One, approaching Christianity from an eternal standpoint is important. People say, well, I believe when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. Really? Well, you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Why is that? Because if you're wrong, eternity's a long time. And I think there's enough evidence from both the side of Christianity and even from the occult world that would say there's something more in this life than meets the eye. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we want to look at it from peace of mind. Worry. Everybody thinks about things. What do you do with your thoughts? The Bible says to pray without ceasing. You have an intercessor you can talk to about it. And believe it or not, if we're silent before the Lord, he'll speak to us what to do. I've done that many times. I talk so much. These are my prayer lives. God said, we shut up. And I'll be silent before the Lord. And God begins to methodically go through the issue in what to do. Friends, it's great. Prayer life is not me talking to God all the time. It said God will speak to us. Third, you can look at it from an economic standpoint. Makes sense. You know, God will keep us from wasting our resources. Money, time, effort on things that don't matter. Again, Developing all this horsepower for a nickel trophy. Or being about our father's business and receiving an eternal reward. Everybody makes investments. Everybody does. Some of you, maybe you bought some silver dollars and you stuck them under your, under your pillow. Maybe some of you uh, have an eye for certain things. You go, oh, well, that coin's going to be worth something someday. They didn't make very many of those. Or some other thing that you value or that you esteem. The greatest investment you can make is in the kingdom of God. Lay it for yourself. Treasure in heaven. It is possible to do that. Now, I know people have said this. Well, I don't care. As long as I get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll be happy. Yeah, I believe you will be. But you'll be so much more happy 
that there's rewards there awaiting you. And part of my job as a pastor is to make sure that you guys get the biggest reward you possibly can by equipping you to know what to look for and how to invest. Well, you want to invest in EF Bullish because when EF Bullish talks, people listen. If you remember that commercial years ago, and looking for the hot stock tip of the day. I'll tell you something. Far greater than any stock, anything you would invest in any place, 401ks, 201ks, 101ks, as this all goes along, is your investment in heaven. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, Jesus said, a cup of cold water in his name bears a reward. In other words, when we see somebody in need, Jesus said, if you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So we want to say, okay, God, I see this person. I don't know what they need, but it isn't always money, friends. Well, here's $100 or $50 or $10. Oh, shut up. No, sometimes it's just going up and saying, can I pray for you? You would be surprised. I've done this so many times in my life. I'll see somebody bummed out. I'll talk to them for a few minutes and they begin to, and I said, can I pray for you? You would think, oh no, just get away from, no, they go, please pray for me. Why? They're looking for answers. They're at the end of their rope and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to their needs and you say, okay, God, I'll respond to that. And God says, great is your reward in heaven. Ha ha, that's what it's about, friends. Changing us from mortal people to immortal people with an everlasting reward with God someday. If you're not a Christian, you are missing out. You're missing out. You're burning your life, your candle on both ends. No, some people, they don't light the candle on both ends. They light the whole thing on fire all at once. They want to go out with a flashbang. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't know about a Savior who loves you, now, again, the reason why you feel dirty is <laughs> because you are. There's a song we play on the effect called Dirty Heavy Soul. Maybe that describes you. And if it does, I want to just invite you this morning to accept Christ as your Savior. He'll take away the dirt. He'll take away the heaviness. The Bible says he'll give you a new heart after his heart and forgive you of all your sins. That's a great deal. My past is gone. No more do I have to worry about it, dream about it. It's gone. And if there's some bugaboos back there, the God will show me how to adjust that to make it right. That's what God does. He's bigger than the things you've done wrong, bigger than the things that people have done to you. And by the way, friends, I know a lot of people have done a lot of mean things to you because they've done it to me. But that doesn't mean that God's stopped by their wickedness. God just says, oh yeah? Watch this. Selling Joseph into slavery? I'm going to make him king of the world. (laughs) Oh boy. Can you imagine his brother's thoughts? I mean, talk about when he revealed who he was. He probably reached up grabbed onto his headdress that was common for Egyptians to wear and pulled it off. And there's their brother, the one that they had been telling their father he was dead for years, alive, and the prime minister of Egypt. Can you imagine? Their heads just went pow. And so instead of the death penalty, 
he embraced them and he loved them. You know, it's really interesting in Joseph. He had no animosity towards them. He did things to bring them into the place where they realized they needed repentance. And when they confessed their sins, as, as we just read back in, uh, let me read it one more time. This is in verse 16 of 44. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. They fessed up, it was done. And then Joseph revealed himself, and they were a family once again. If you're not right with God this morning, let's pray. Have you had enough? Do you want another 10 years like you just had, or 20 years? You go, no. Then you pray and ask God to forgive your sins. This is why Jesus died on the cross. And then God will restore you and bless you and heal you. And you'll walk in his ways instead of the ways of the world. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And Lord, there are so many. I know you will take them all away. Because Jesus died on the cross for me. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands to make me the best I can be for you. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me boldness to speak of you and to love people. And Lord, give me that life. When you came back from death, I need that life in my life and forevermore. So I commit my life now into your hands in Jesus' name.